welcome or welcome back to the Technicast, the podcasting community made up of research students in the arts and humanities. My name is Polly Hemper and together with Julian Klon and Felix Klutzen, we invite different researchers onto the podcast to discuss their work around different monthly themes. In our last episode, Julian shared his work on homewriting and identity and in today's episode we're continuing to think about identity through our new theme of surrealism. We are delighted to be welcoming Daniela Georgieva today. Dani is a PhD student at Royal Holloway, University of London, where her work focuses on surrealism and the work of the artist and writer Leonora Carrington. Today, Dani speaks to us about the hyenas, horses and other animals that jump out of Carrington's pages and leap across canvases. I hope you enjoy. A sophisticated game of table tennis in which hummingbirds take the role of the ball. Preparing a meal with vegetables that throw themselves into a cauldron filled with boiling water. A dinner table rich with wine, fruit and caterpillars transforming into butterflies. A half-human, half-beast girl flying towards the moon with feathers shining like snow in the sun. These are a few of the fantastical scenes seen in the art and writing of Leonora Carrington. Outlandish and as charming as they are bizarre, Carrington's characters are presented as myth and satire. The figures on her canvases come to life through comedy and tragedy. Their entrance provokes eyebrow raises and their departure leaves a bittersweet taste. While her art and her stories can be deeply personal, and as she has expressed whenever questioned on the matter, they come from her own heart, there is also a sophisticated rhythm an interconnection and a mystical drive formed between her writing and her art. The way that Leonora Carrington let her imagination unfold through art begs to be explored further and deeper, especially since she did not wish to speak about the meaning behind her art, stating that she wanted to leave that to the writers. By investigating the interrelations between Leonora Carrington's art and writing, and by examining the symbolism, influences and characters that appear either on her canvas or in her stories, one can begin to grasp the notions and intent behind her works. Her canvases, populated with humans, animals, birds and fabled creatures, reflect her attempt to find reasons behind the universe and its existence. While in her later years, Carrington was at ease with the knowledge that she knew nothing. Throughout her years of creation, the artist attempted to find meaning in the occult, in Buddhism, in spiritualism, in fairy tales and fables, and in ancient notions and beliefs in Celtic, Mexican, and Native American cultures. Childhood memories, nursery rhymes, Lewis Carroll, Irish folklore, and many other influences serve as those keys all presented with a dose of seriousness, while also exhibiting a playful skepticism and British humour. Carrington's stories and paintings are filled with personal meaning. To get to know her, you just have to look deeper at her works. The animals that she uses within her art carry over a certain symbolism relating to her life, and their meaning changes and grows just as she did. So, who was Leonora Carrington? And why is a white horse often found prancing along her canvases? 
Leonora Carrington was born in Clayton Green, South Lancashire, on the 6th of April 1917. Her father was a textile tycoon. Her mother, an Irish woman, often gave in to fantasies about her family origins, such as being related to Irish King Malcolm and Franz Joseph of Austria. Perhaps Leonora's tendency towards fabrication first started with the stories told by her mother and her Irish nanny, Mary Cavanaugh. Through her nanny's stories, she first came into contact with Irish folklore and fairy tales. Moreover, her grandmother would also tell her fantastical stories about her heritage. Leonora recalled that her love for the soil, nature and the gods was given to her by her grandmother, who believed that they were descendants of an ancient race, which later appear in Carrington's paintings. By the time she was four years old, Leonora was already scribbling drawings on the wall, and as she adores horses and horse riding, one of the first animals she drew was a horse. Her nursery library was filled with books by Lewis Carroll, Jonathan Swift, Beatrix Potter, and Edward Clear. She always claimed that she could see ghosts. Ghosts she was not afraid of. She found her visions amusing and friendly, perhaps due to the loneliness she experienced as the only girl in the family. Her favorite place was the small local zoo in Blackpool. She would often dream about the wild animals she would encounter during her visits at the zoo with her mother. Leonora Carrington's parents adopted the customs of the upper classes and in a way suffocated the young girl with boarding schools, debutante balls and the push for her to marry into a wealthy family. Deemed too eccentric for boarding school, Carrington was expelled. She wanted to persuade her parents to send her to art school, and at the age of 18 she got her wish and was enrolled in the Chelsea School of Art. However, she was dissatisfied with the school, and she soon transferred to the new Osnifan Academy in London. There, she learned the real chemistry behind painting and the hard work it took to reach perfection, with Osnifan making her draw an apple for six months straight. In 1937, she met Max Ernst and soon started a tumultuous relationship with him. She ran away from her parents in France to be with him, but in 1939, Ernst was taken away to a camp. Leonora suffered a mental breakdown and was subsequently sent to an asylum, an extremely traumatic experience which she detailed in her writing down below. As her family wanted to move her to another asylum, Leonora took her chance to run again. When her guardian took her into town on the pretext of buying new gloves, Carrington made an excuse to use a cafe bathroom and bolted out the back. Just as many surrealists running from the war did at the time, she headed for New York, then to Mexico, where she spent the remainder of her days. That is the main overview of some of the events that have happened in Leonora Carrington's life. As I said, her love of horses and her love of drawing was interconnected when she was only four years old. The horse, an important symbol in Carrington's work, usually plays the part of a companion and savior, a childhood friend that guides her through the dark. It is also a symbol that connects both her art and her writing. In her story, The Oval Lady, a girl is trapped by her family. She rebels against her controlling father, which results in her beloved wooden white horse called Tartar being burned as punishment. Tartar also appears in Carrington's self-portrait. 
In the portrait, the artist is sat in a Victorian-style chair. Everything about her seems immobile, other than her flowing hair. And above her, Tartar also floats, while a real horse leaps out of the window and into the woods. While Carrington always had a fascination with horses in her youth, the reason behind why she includes this animal in her work so often can also be traced to the occult. A likely inspiration could be the Celtic goddess Epona. Etymologically, her name is related to the Celtic word for horse, and she is also identified with the animal as a symbol. The white horse appears in several other paintings, such as the house opposite, where Tartar can be seen floating in a forest above a weeping girl's head perhaps indicating that the leap that the horse was making in her self-portrait continues here, from the window and into the woods. It also appears in her painting down below, which displays her experience at the mental asylum. Under a brooding dark sky, human-animal hybrids, seemingly female, stretch across the canvas as a young and naive-looking Leonora Carrington enters their gloomy world, under the guidance of her trusted horse, Companion. It becomes clear that the horse will always be her loyal companion, a bright memory in an otherwise suffocating childhood. As I have mentioned, the meanings of her animals can change and grow along with her life, and it is no more apparent than in her painting entitled The Portrait of Max Ernst. In the painting, Ernst is holding what appears to be a lantern with a horse inside of it. The background is an ice-covered land. Amongst the snow and frost is a horse, frozen in its place. This work can be viewed as a reversal of the gender roles of artist and muse. However, if the image of the horse can be translated as Carrington's guardian and the representation of the self, then the frozen horse and the one being kept in the lantern by Ernst could signify that she was feeling as if she compromised herself in order to be with Ernst. If this is the white horse galloping out of the Roman self-portrait, in this painting it has been frozen in the midst of a journey to freedom. While some have interpreted this work as him being a guardian, as Ernst leading her across a frozen land, one that only Ernst can unfreeze, I believe the exact opposite. In this painting it appears that he has trapped Leonora, who has always been her own guardian, and is leading her down a path she might not want to follow, leaving her freedom behind once again. If the horse in Carrington's paintings signifies childhood and a desire for freedom, then the hyena in her paintings can be read as womanhood and a type of wild feral desire. The debutante tells a tale of a soon-to-be debutante who meets a hyena at the zoo who eventually becomes her friend. Reluctant and rebellious, the debutante does not wish to attend her ball, so the hyena suggests that she takes her place. The animal puts on her dress, practices walking in high heels, and tears off the maid's face to put it over her own as part of her disguise. While the girl stays in her room reading Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift, the hyena attends the ball, and all is well until her mother bursts into her room furiously. The hyena had torn the maid's face off and eaten it, then leapt out of the window, declaring, So a small bit strong, what? Well, I don't eat cakes. 
Behind the comedic, Carol-esque madness, the story criticizes class, high society virtues and expectations, as well as the position of women in that society. The ravenous hyena signifies a rabbit wild side of women that is rarely represented as grotesque, but is actually romanticized by male surrealists. Carrington's beast-like portrayal of the hyena in her self-portrait is a reclamation of the wild female nature women possess, and instead of objectifying madness, the woman hyena projects her own power onto the canvas. Self-portrait is indeed one of the most important paintings that Carrington ever did. It is the first to display elements and ideas which she would end up developing throughout her life, as well as the painting which includes both the white horse and the hyena. There is a hypnotic element to the painting, and the psychic center is definitely Carrington. In a gesture which seems like an incantation, Carrington points a finger towards the female hyena before her. In spite of the apparent stiffness of the painting, at a second glance it appears that Carrington seems to be commanding the figures around her, as if she has conjured them up herself. There is a connection between Leonora and the chair as well, as the carved armrest of the chair is a similar shape to Leonora's resting hand, just as the boots she is wearing mimic the chair's legs. This might be a way to show the artist's struggle and frustration with the ideas of what a woman should look like, the elegance of the chair, while possessing similar qualities to Leonora's limbs, represents a belief of what she should be, one that she actively rebelled against. Pointed towards the hyena, her finger symbolically binds her to the animal, much like a witch in her familiar. The hyena is used to portray Carrington's alignment with the natural forces of the universe. It also represents her animal nature, so it is important to acknowledge the specific choice of the hyena. In Flowering of the Crone, Carrington explained that hyenas attracted her most during her visits to the zoo. She said that their greatest virtue is that they eat garbage. And in an interview with Susan Aberth, she extended her reasoning for being attached to the hyena. She declared that, I'm like a hyena. I get into the garbage cans. I have insatiable curiosity. The hyena's wildness intruding on the domestic space in self-portrait contributes to the analogy between the animal and Leonora in the context of her presence within her home, where she felt like a strange intruder, one that could never fit in. While the horse can represent the domesticated animal which longs to return to the wilderness, the hyena is the rabbit's aggressive and cheeky indication that freedom can be attained by embracing the madness and wildness within. These two animals are simply the main examples and symbols one can find in Leonora Carrington's work. She also uses many other animals, such as birds, wolves, hounds, serpents, and human-animal hybrids to indicate meaning. I think it is important to take away that meaning. The connection between humans and nature. Whether we find ourselves identifying with a grinning hyena, a galloping white horse or a minotaur, we can find the wilderness within us and embrace it, just as Leonora Carrington did. So Danny, thank you so much for such an interesting and compelling exploration of Leonora Carrington's animals, um, both on the canvas and on the page. And thanks also for taking the time to speak to me today. I really appreciate it. Can I start off by asking 
how you first came across Carrington's work and what initially drew you to her animals. So, hi, first, thank you for having me. And I'm really glad that you um, enjoyed the paper. Uh, yeah, so with Carrington, I was actually doing my master's and I was uh, looking for a dissertation topic, <laughs> as we all do. And I was really lost on any kind of ideas. And I've, I've heard of her before, but never really read into it. And then completely randomly, I was recommended an article uh, from Tate Liverpool, their exhibition on Carrington. So I started looking into her a bit more. I, like most people, was really attractive to, uh, attracted to her biography and to her personal life, but then her paintings really drew me in, the aesthetic of the paintings and her writing as well. I just really, really fell in love with her work and her as a person. So that's where it kind of all started from the master's dissertation and then it kind of took off and I was crazy enough to start doing a PhD <laughs> related to her. <laughs> well I can so see why looking at all of her paintings today and reading a little bit about her writing also I can completely see how she struck that chord. So can I ask was it the paintings or her writing that you engaged with first and that you explored on that master's? So it was the paintings first, for sure. I actually had no idea she even did writing <laughs> because I went to it so blind. Um, so yeah, it was the paintings. I saw the self-portrait mm -hmm. and quite a few of her other works. And then I realized that she also writes and started reading her stories and obsessively like taking notes on each one <laughs> uh, because of those connections that exist between her writing and her art. It's like its own little mythology that she's built up in a way yeah i can imagine that's just so so exciting to track that intermedial relationship between one form and and the other and see how that is kind of interrogated and explored through both mediums it's such um yeah such a beautiful thing so thinking more about the animals within within both the writing and and her paintings i'm really really interested in the relationship between the white horse and her hyena that you speak about, especially thinking about self-portrait. And I was just wondering whether I could ask, do you see these animals as in dialogue with one another? And how do these crucial but very different aspects of Carrington, like how, do, how did she experience those different aspects of herself? <laughs> yeah, so basically um, there is no direct um, conversation between them because I think that like I mentioned they are very big parts of her but they are very separate from one another because the hyena I think is something that she needed to become in a way and embrace within herself whereas the white horse was her guardian and her companion and something that she loved from childhood like she believed that she could turn herself into a horse it's interesting when it comes to transformation that and she has a lot of mm. animal transformation uh, themes in both her painting and her um writing but she usually talks about transforming into a horse very rarely does she actually transform into a hyena i actually don't think that she has the hyena is always there as a hyena and I think that's kind of an important point in itself because she doesn't humanize the hyena in any way. It's a wild side of nature and of herself that she kind of lets stay wild 
if that makes sense. Whereas the white horse guided her through everything. And I think the need to transform into a white horse is a kind of escapism for Mm -hmm. her. Whereas the hyena is just a wild side that she completely let loose and kind of let be wild. (laughs) So like, like you, like we were talking, you know, with the self portrait, you can see that the hyena, I mean, you can see how different it looks and it has these striking blue eyes in comparison to the horse that is always kind of leaping away and letting loose and setting free and running off. Whereas the hyena is a much more direct kind of eye contact with the person viewing the painting. It's a very confronting figure, if that makes sense. Oh, it really does. I'm fascinated by that self-portrait, that address to the viewer that both the human figure and, and the hyena have. I'm really fascinated by that idea of movement that the horse has as, as Carrington's guardian or that kind of childhood part of herself. Do you see it as running away from the hyena or do you see it as a boundless movement along a more escapist line? Yeah, I think it's more along the escapist line. It's definitely a bit mm-hmm. more, and that's why it's such a childhood symbol. Like I mentioned, she had a troubling relationship with her family. She never felt like she fit in. Mm-hmm. So because she made up the horse and it was one of the first animals that she really drew, that was her guardian. That was the support she had as a child. So I think that's why it's in constant movement. Whereas the hyena is something that Mm. she did see as a child at the zoo. It was one of her favorite animals to see. But it seems like the hyena is more directly associated with her more womanhood, feminine energy than the horse. The horse is surprisingly enough quite androgynous, despite it being a male symbol at times. Interesting. And how do you see this? I'm, I'm I'm... I loved your reflection that these symbols are ones that are in flux and can change over time as Carrington moved through her own life from like that, that bounding movement in self-portrait here to the frozen stasis in the portrait of Max Ernst. I was and thinking about how these shift and, and, and the relationship between those two key figures. I was wondering whether I could ask about another painting, Green Tea, which was, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was 1942, so some four years after self-portrait was finished. And here, this different image of the hyena and the white horse can be seen, so they're pictured as like almost bound to one another, they're chained to each other's tails, which are imagined and seen as sprouting trees. And, the, and here, the hyena figure, it almost... We, I, I don't know whether I'm reading this as a kind of, yeah, I don't know whether I'm reading this um, <laughs> correctly or not, but it looks almost as if it's a direct reverse of, of the movement that's happening in self-portrait. So the hyena-like figure looks as if they're struggling to be freed and trying to pull away from those chains, whereas the white horse, as in down below, I suppose, radiates this sense of tranquility. I'm so interested and excited to hear your reading of, of whether you see this relationship has changed and how this corresponds to the kind of progresses and evolves from that dynamic in self-portrait. Yes, so um, basically with green tea, first let me also say that there's no 
wrong reading so <laughs> you should be able to feel free to read into her paintings as much as you want because I think I did mention she she didn't really put out any specific interpretations she let people decide for themselves so no interpretation is wrong good because I was like I was like is that a hyena is that not a hyena what <laughs> I think there's been maybe some debate whether it's a hyena or a dog, but either way, I don't think it necessarily matters because if you look at the way that they're painted, they're both the hyena and hyena slash dog in green tea, quite feral. Uh, you can see the animals pressed, so it's very, you know, kind of feminine energy again and that feminine energy raging, whereas the white horse, like you said, is very stoic and kind of you know, calm throughout what's happening in the painting. And Green Tea is very interesting because she has depicted her childhood home a number of times. So I believe that obviously you see the English landscape in the back. This is another kind of reflection of her childhood and the way that she was tied down to where she was and England and settling for being a statue because you can see that there is kind of like a statue-like figure in the painting as well uh, which I think is very representative of her and it's interesting because in self-portrait she's also quite static other than her hair while the animals around her are have a bit more moving movement than her if that makes sense so I really think that the symbols do change over time, but not in any dramatic kind of way. It's a certain type of progress that, you know, a person would have throughout their life. They can change and little qualities about them may shift, but ultimately they are the same person. And I think with these two symbols specifically, especially the white horse, that's what we can see. We can see the context changing around them, but they remain quite similar in their representation. In this context, they're in the English countryside, and if we take that, the figure is Leonora. She's a statue. While they are still there, the hyena is raging, and the horse is more calm. And in self-portrait, that is the same thing happening, although it can be seen, be even though it was drawn before green tea, as a sort of extension of breaking free because, of course, in self-portrait, the horse is running off from the window um, and into the woods, whereas here it's tied down. So the atmosphere around the animals do cha does change, uh, and they do change as well through that within the context. Like you mentioned with the portrait of Max Cernst, that is, I think, the most striking one because it involves another person, not just Leonora characters in their world. In fact, she's not in the painting at all. It's just him and the horse. And he's pictured in that, is it a cloak or a cape? And yeah. it almost looks like a fishtail towards the bottom. Yeah, it almost looks like a fishtail. Uh, he's pictured in a very interesting and eccentric way. And you can tell that she has taken notes of his personality and you can also notice that he's kind of the most colorful object in that painting in particular. Whereas, like we commented, the horse is frozen and the other one is a type of lantern. So that's why there's been different interpretations, whether he is helping her and leading her away or whether he has trapped her. But 
you know, in some sense, it doesn't really matter because she was never one to want to be led. So even if that's what she meant to portray, it still shows that the relationship was a bit trapped. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how uh, the horse appears, especially in paintings and in uh, writings about being trapped and being lonely and the anxiety of that. Especially in, is it the house opposite where yes. it's bounding and you have that kind of sense of movement, but it's also enclosed in this, is it a room in, in this house that feels really claustrophobic almost? Yeah, I'm, I'm fast. I was looking at all the different paintings and just couldn't stop yeah, searching for the, is there a horse in this one? Is there a horse in that one? What's it doing here? Yeah, the, the house opposite is fascinating to look at because there's so much movement there's so much happening in each corner of the painting and yeah you can see the horse and interestingly enough it's the wooden white horse that i described um in the story that she wrote so yeah it's it it does appear a lot and you can see that in the house opposite one of the figures is a horse-like woman um who is sitting in the middle of a big table kind of like christ in a way so she does have these animal hybrids as well in her paintings. So that's how you can also see the horse. That's another way you can see it. But usually whenever that happens, the horse is a woman. I'd love to ask a little bit more about those hybrid animals mm -hmm. and whether do you see them as speaking to the sense of wildness and identity in in a different way than than the reoccurring images of the white horse and the reoccurring image of the hyena within her work? Yeah, I think for sure they have this uh, wildness inside of them. I think a big inspiration for them as well was the folklore tales she heard growing up and the myth different mythologies and cultures she was interested in. Animal transformation uh, in her works usually meant a blessing, but it could also be a curse. I've noticed that the people who turn into animals as a curse and as punishment are usually hunters, usually men as well, who are turned into their victims, which are the animals they're hunting, for example, that happens in one story. Uh, there's a lot of people turning into birds. <laughs> so it's very interesting because the women hybrid characters are completely different from the male ones. They're almost parodies in a way. And, you know, she had that kind of dry but very funny English humor about that <laughs> you know she talks about wolves and uh, specifically in the story Jemima and the wolf uh, this girl enters into a relationship with a wolf so in that story there is also a hyena who walks all around uh, the characters so it's it's like basically trying to build this little puzzle when talking about Leonora and her animals in transformation. There's so many different pieces kind of spread out through her writing and through her painting that even now when I'm 
talking and you know reading more about them i'm like oh i never noticed this before this is here of course <laughs> oh it sounds like such an exciting process and i'm so interested also in how these different parts of that puzzle fit into your larger doctoral thesis on carrington and on the occult and on folklore do you find yourself drawn to the animals the whole way through or are you planning is this a section that's going to look specifically at animals or, or do you see it as the whole project bound up in this um, animal symbolism so I think it will be just a section just because there's so many more stuff to talk about with her and as you know when you're a PhD the biggest struggle is sticking to one thing especially when you have a topic where you can talk so much. So I think it will definitely be a big section but not the entire thing because I want to focus on the magic and the folklore and how that's changed and evolved especially through her moves around the world you know coming from england then being in paris with all the surrealists and then just running off to mexico and spending the rest of her life there <laughs> uh, which was a big influence so i'll definitely focus a lot on that period as well in mexico there's so much and you know the one thing the one or two things that uh, are constant though is the magic the folklore and within that in itself are the animals so they're kind of a subsection of all of that, that big topic <laughs> pushed together. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hearing more about Leonora Carrington and her animals. If you liked this episode, please do consider subscribing and sharing it with anyone you think might be interested so that more people can get to hear about Danny's work. We'll be back at the end of the month with another episode on surrealism and you can keep an eye on our Twitter at Technicast and our website which is linked in the episode notes for news and for upcoming call for papers in the meantime. Thanks again to Danny for sharing her research with us and for taking the time to speak to me today. Thanks to Techni for their ongoing support and thanks to you for listening. Take care.